Welcome to the first session in this course module on Biblical Economics and the Workplace. We get started by realizing the panoramic scope of God's Word and how it applies to spiritual and natural work alike. You'll see how attempts to compartmentalize God's truth into the spiritual realm have left Christians immature and impotent to witness effectively and reveal the blessing of applying God's Word to every area of life. God expects that as His image bearers, we also would exemplify the blessing of building according to His pattern to a world in search of practical answers. The goal in this session is to provoke you to examine the degree to which you are applying God's law in your work and to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of any way that you subconsciously justify disobedience to God's Word so that you can experience the blessing that is derived from building according to the pattern laid out in His Word. We trust that the following conversation and teaching with Dennis Peacock will challenge you towards this end. In this session, you talk about the coming revival in the workplace, since believers spend more time in the workplace than any other place. Um, and that also the, the laws of God's word produce consequences that are a great witness to unbelievers when they see the impact of how those laws work and produce blessing and so on. But with all that's going on in the culture today, it seems that we are further away from any kind of Christian revival in the marketplace than we were 20 years ago when you made that statement. In what ways are we perhaps closer to seeing a revival on one hand, but on the other hand, maybe farther away from a Christian revival uh, on the other hand, kind of depending on how we look at it? Is revival in the workplace still within reach? Wow, what a question. I'm reminiscing here, Simon. Uh, I started teaching with a colleague of mine named Will Pilcher, who was one of the chief economists for Levi Strauss. And as, as an economist, he was a, you know, a certified economist where I'm a, a homegrown economist, so to speak. Um, the whole issue of the role of the business community in the kingdom of God was just barely emerging in the early 1980s. Uh, without patting ourselves on the back, uh, we started teaching on biblical economics and part of what Will and I were doing, trying to discern for Levi Strauss Un, them unaware of what we were doing is uh, measuring whether or not countries were good locations for plants and operations based on the divorce rate, which tells us a lot about labor, the labor uh, availability and the stability of labor, uh, about alcoholism, about abortion. If you look at those as social indicators, it will tell you a lot about the context of where you want to be and what you're going to need to deal with uh, positively and negatively. And one of the biggest things that motivated me 
was the reality that largely Christian business people at that point in time never heard sermons directed to them at all. They were not recognized really as being an essential part of the expansion of the kingdom of God. They were not challenging business leaders to take biblical leadership of the, their businesses, not using scriptures to do it. Uh, one of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, that we've always kind of made a criteria, if you can't describe a biblical principle in plain English and have to use Bible verses, then you're not really ready to discuss the issue. Uh, you know, language is incredibly important. And the moment I start using Bible language, I'm creating a degree of a barrier between myself and that other person, uh, which means we have to really be more skilled than I think we've thought up to this point in time to really be valuable to the secular language. All of that being said, uh, we believed, I believe, certainly in the latter part of the 1980s, that we were on the verge of the business community being valued in the church, especially by pastors. Uh, I thought it was gonna really break uh, more loose, so to speak, freer than it did. Uh, we had maybe a period from 1990 I would say to maybe 2010, maybe 20 years, where there was a tremendous amount of activity in coming together Christian business leaders and business people. It appears to me that that has waned a little bit, but that is not discouraging to me because the, the consequences of the application of unbiblical principles is uh, corrosion and uh, depletion and division and all those kinds of negative things. The business community is going to become increasingly important the further down the road we go towards socialism. As uh, Margaret once said, our dear friend, mutual friend Margaret, uh, the problem with socialism is you run out of the ability to spend other people's money. And you're speaking of Margaret Thatcher. I'm speaking of Margaret Thatcher to a fellow Englishman. And uh, uh, that is the consequence <clears throat> of where all this is headed, which again will make the dialogue and the demand from the business community to stop doing practices that are weakening the nation, weakening markets, uh, and are, are generally, uh, how do I say, for releasing levels of frag fragmentation that are toxic to the creation of an environment where people will be investing rather than hoarding and minimizing investment. All of that is our responsibility in the Christian world. Make the connections for me in terms of, you, know, you mentioned how the divorce rate, abortion, alcoholism, and so on and so forth, 
uh, creates a, a, a culture that is not conducive for the business environment, but make specifically those connections for me. How does a divorce rate and how does abortion and so on and so forth, how do those things undermine a culture of productivity and growth and so on and so forth? Make the, make the connection for me, if you would. Well, let's go first to what I think is one of the most important principles that God holds us accountable for, and that is what I call generational momentum. Uh, the kingdom of God is made to be something that spreads as it's passed down from one generation to another. Uh, I would say overwhelmingly, and I haven't seen the recent studies, but I know the historical studies. When you have a divorce, you, you don't just lose, you don't just divide assets the division itself causes deterioration. So you have a net loss of resource base through divorce uh, because you have less capital to focus. You lose on the principle of critical mass. Your critical mass reduced, your leverage is reduced. Uh, you've got whole other problems that emerge, managing the kids, babysitting, If especially if you're uh, a two, uh, both a husband and wife are both working. Uh, you've, you've got the weakening of the family unit when you remove parents as the primary overseers of, of the raising of children. Uh, uh, a civil babysitting op, uh, operation is a totally different thing than a husband and a wife who are strategically planning and working on the education of their kids. Going back to generational momentum, it really shows up now. Living where I live in the Bay Area here in California, unless your parents have given you a fair chunk of money, you don't have money for a down payment. My responsibility is to increase the amount of assets and the wisdom that we, Jan and I, have accumulated in our marriage, that goes in for a head start and not in allowing a platform significantly beyond what they would have if we didn't give them that kind of base. We let them start on the second or third story rather than the foundation of the culture. Why do we want to do that? Because we want to maximize the assets that are available to God-fearing men and women. That is the way you begin to increase your role uh, in culture. So on that basis alone, we're talking about the difference between um, having assets to bring change. We talked about assets being time in foldable form, because really money is time in foldable form. Uh, and that, that is a good start. Divorce, uh, alcoholism, anything that steals our ability to be uh, productive, strategic, has an absolute real effect on the creation of capital, creation of, of successful people. Um, in terms, and I, this, when we were doing this kind of work in the 80s, uh, it was pretty easy when you would examine the what happened in the countries that were aborting children, uh, 
we are in a situation now where the European population, is, we're de depopulating fairly rapidly. Uh, the biblical principle is bring increase, not depopulate. So that if abortion is involved in a major way in a nation, uh, let's take the United States of America, is since Roe Wade, excuse me, Roe Wade, we've aborted somewhere between 90 and 100 million children. Uh, and we don't really know because reporting abortion is uh, not required. Uh, you know, there's, they're trying to keep the numbers down. How many, well, let me, let me make it as simple as I can. We are approximately 330 or 340 million in America. We have aborted a little less than a third of our population. Do you have any idea the economic consequences of removing about 28% of our labor market, 28% of the doctors, 28% of the taxation base? I mean, you couldn't do anything more destructive to an economy than be voluntarily weakening it by removing that amount of market and market share is one of the stupidest thing you could do. The economic consequences of abortion are yet to be discovered and discussed. And again, do you want specifics? How much more, how much further do we want to go? One of the most destructive things in my lifetime has been drugs. I mean, I lived in a, and was raised in the 1950s Nobody, I knew, nobody was smoking marijuana. Nobody except uh, very smaller groups of people were using drugs at all. The amount of money, the amount of productivity, the amount of resource allotment, the amount of crime, the amount of people who are not functioning in the marketplace because of drugs is massive. Those are very direct uh, economic consequences. So if I am trying to analyze countries where I want to invest, no matter what my industry is, I'm going to be looking at those economic indicators in those very practical ways to tell me a lot about the market and what we're going to have to deal with and the likelihood that with the culture fading, we can't find enough skilled workers with character to want to hire. And that's a real problem we have now. I think it's interesting you go back to the abortion issue uh, and the economic impact that, that will have. The uh, abortion was enacted by the baby boomer generation, right? Yes, my, my generation. And the economic impact of that will impact the millennial generation in particular who will have a far greater debt burden to to carry since there will be fewer um, in the coming generation that can carry the, the tax burden that is necessary to support the aging population that is taking place in the country. Right. It's no surprise to me a number of years ago um, maybe three or four years ago, when we started to see the issue of euthanasia 
on the ballots in a number of different states. And where euthanasia was supported was in states where there was a new surge of younger people coming into the elections and voting. No surprise to me that the mindset was, well, you aborted us, we'll euthanize you. Yes. Because it's convenient <clears throat> for us from an economic standpoint. Well, again, specifically on the importance of labor and getting uh, labor forces that are educated uh, technologically uh, so that you can go into a labor market and know that you will be able to get the number of people that your company is capable of hiring and what do you do if you can't find good candidates or can't find candidates who will come to work for your company and not expect to move out when something better comes along in a year i mean my main economic you know aside from overall macroeconomic theory my main specialty is capital creation and employment and you know those are issues that i'm i'm very deeply concerned about um you know that that it takes a minimum of, of about 2.1% increase in, in the birth rate in order to, to sustain zero. Uh, we are depopulating, and we're depopulating uh, the as much the upper level of educated people uh, as we are the, the lower levels, so to speak, of the producers who are minimum wage and, and below. What do you do when your company is, has got the capacity and the market demand to produce X amount of units or X amount of services and you can't find reliable workers who certainly you can invest in training? How long, you know, the people that are, that are watching what you and I are doing here? I'm sure there's numbers of those folks who they invest six months to 18 months to maybe two even two or three years into an employee to get them producing at the level uh, uh, that we want to see them produce. We're losing money every year on paying them the salary that we had to pay them in order to get them to come towards us because it's a labor, a labor advantage market. And now they want to leave in two years or three years. We have a net loss in the asset uh, assortment that we made. We made a decision that instead of winning, we lost. That has everything to do with the culture that we're communicating about, not just loyalty, but about recognizing that if somebody is going to train me and bring me into a business at the level where I begin to break even and give uh, asset increase in that situation, I've got to have a culture that people expect to stay in the, in the training process all the way to the point where we're actually being a net uh, growth uh, part of, the, of that operation. That brings up the difference between a living wage and a minimum wage. And I don't know if we have any questions about that, but I will look forward to addressing it if we do. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here, and 
we're pretty anxious to get started with this session. So thank you, Dennis, <laughs> for this great introduction to mm -hmm. this material. Thanks for listening to The Point from Bridgepoint Forum. This podcast is a portion of our full lecture and forum presentation. Bridgepoint Forum enables Christians to bridge faith and work by applying biblically-based economic principles, spiritual formation, and application for effective change in their workplace. Please visit us at bridgepointforum.org for more information.